0: the medical school hq podcast session number 81 hey this is Dog md rapper physician legendary turntable health revolutionary and part-time gardener and you're listening to the medical school hq podcast hosted by the irredeemably awesome ryan gray welcome back i am your host dr ryan gray And I believe that competition amongst your pre-med and medical student peers is detrimental to becoming a great physician. In this podcast, we show you how collaboration, hard work, and honesty are critical to becoming a superior physician in today's healthcare environment. Before we get into today's topic, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you by FreeMCATGift.com. Go to freemcatgift.com where you can download a brand new, completely free, 30-plus page report on the most important pieces of the MCAT information that you need to know. Take your knowledge of the MCAT to the next level by going to freemcatgift.com and downloading the free report today. Hi, Allison. Hi, Ryan. It's been a while. Yes, it has. Again. (laughs) It seems like we always have uh, some big gaps when we have you on. Yeah, well. But I have such interesting guests that I want to bring on and, and share stories with, and I don't, I don't have you co-host those.
1: And that's okay?
0: It's awkward when two people ask one person a question. I think so, too. So, how you doing?
1: I'm doing okay. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing Okay. What are we talking about today?
1: We are talking about the Physician Compensation Report from 2014.
0: The 2014 Compensation Report from Medscape. So every year, if you don't know this, Medscape, which is a huge medical website, Medscape.com, puts out a survey and they gather all the data and they come up with this Physician Compensation Report. I don't know how long it's been going on, but I know it's been going on for several years because several it's always interesting to go through and, and review the information. And we're going to go through the information and we're going to talk about it. It covers compensation based on different specialties. It talks about uh, physician satisfaction among those specialties and who would choose to do medicine all over again and so on and so forth. So it's very interesting to, to go through, and, and hopefully you'll get some information out of it. We'll have the the link to the show notes, uh, the link to the compensation report in the show notes, which you can get at medicalschoolhq.net slash 81, as in session 81. Uh, so why don't we just jump right in and, and talk about... Um, the The report and kind of what it encompasses so the the first slide here is thirty one slides and we're, we won't go over all of them but just the the scope of this report twenty five thousand or twenty four thousand physicians in twenty five different specialties responded to the report and that's awesome uh, to get that many people responding you can kind of if you're Big into research and understand data, that's that's a pretty good number to to trust, wouldn't you agree, Allison? Yeah. So let's get started. It it starts off talking about total just numbers and money. Why don't why don't you go and talk about some of the highest paid and lowest paid and, and what you think about those?
1: Well, what sticks out right away is that orthopedics is way ahead of everybody else, which is kind of interesting orthopedics is quoted as making roughly $413,000 a year. And then all the way at the other end, uh, actually right under family medicine is uh, the HIV infectious disease specialist making $174,000 a year. It's interesting to me. I honestly looking at this graph, it's sad. That's my feeling about it because everything on top is all procedure based. So orthopedics Cardiology does a lot of diagnostic work, but they also do a lot of caths, and cardiac catheterization, uh, angioplasty. And right under that is gastroenterology. They do a lot of scopes, radiology, does a lot of imaging. It's Everything at the top is all procedure-based. And if you go to the bottom, what's down there? All the people who are at the front lines taking care of patients, trying to keep them healthy, doing preventative medicine – the, the primary care physician, the pediatrician, the psychiatrist, the neurologist. Uh, it's that's that makes me really sad because it's totally, it's all.
0: I mean, it's, it's backwards. Yeah,
1: it's it, it's backwards
0: it uh, among the the thinking that we're trying to get to in medicine is preventive care, avoiding all the procedures that are seem to be making these other specialties lots of money. And preventing disease up front, but the people that are getting paid to prevent the disease, the I, I just did the math between orthopedics, which is listed as the top here, average salary, and the ID docs. It's the orthopedists make two, uh, almost two point four times as much money, almost two and a half times more.
1: Yeah, and it's certainly. I'm not sitting here saying that the physicians and surgeons doing those. Uh, procedures don't deserve what they're being paid. I, obviously, the or, or not obviously, but in my mind, those procedures are are obvi- are very important. <laughs> we need those procedures. We need those physicians who are doing those procedures. It's just that I feel sad that the internist who is working eighty hours a week, maybe even as an attending, because they have so many patients that they're taking care of, and. Following up results on and, and looking after that, they are so undercompensated. So it's more of a reflection of how poorly we are uh, taking care of those physicians uh, or or respecting the, the work that that they are doing. Uh, we're really just rewarding procedures. The good news about this is that this is recently something that's been recognized, and um, the reimbursement rates are sh- going to shift in the next uh, probably five to ten years at the minimum, uh, in the sense that they are going to stop reimbursing, at least for, from what we know, um, they're going to stop reimbursing uh, procedures as heavily and start trying to move things toward a different model of care. So hopefully, um, you know, you have a diabetic patient, the, the diabetic patient, there'll be money to, to take care of all the things that patient needs and, and not just dollars for the amputation that they need when their diabetes is out of control
0: now you you had mentioned something about taking care of the ones that are kind of the frontline frontline preventive medicine folks and i I wonder at at what point is is enough is considered fair compensation because well, many <laughs> many would assume that hundred and seventy four thousand dollars a year as the least paid on average uh specialty here is well more than the average person needs.
1: Absolutely. And I'm certainly also not trying to sit here and say, you know, and be elitist and say that we deserve, you know, half a million dollars for what we do. Of course not. But I'm more just pointing my, my biggest problem with this graph is, again, the focus on in medicine in today's day and age, we are rewarding procedures, not all the diagnostic work that gets done. So to answer your question though, I don't know what's fair compensation. I don't know what we should be quote unquote rewarded or what we deserve as physicians in different specialties. I think it's it's a really hard thing to answer and it's interesting because Every year, there are a group of physicians in all the different specialties in medicine who get together to try to decide the compensation rates for- <laughs> That's uh, a big secret. Yes, for, for dermatology and, and physiatry and neurology and internal medicine and everything. And it's it's really hard. It's a very, uh, you can imagine the different fields of medicine are are all trying to work together, but also in a sense competing against each other for those, oh, yeah. those dollars, so-
0: and that, and that And that's a big secret meeting that that just kind of came to light recently with everything going on yeah um with with kind of pulling back the covers, so to speak with with all the compensation, but that's interesting, so one thing that we'll get into further into this compensation report is the fact that you would assume that orthopedic surgeons would be all happy go lucky they're making four hundred and thirteen thousand dollars a year. And the HIV and the, the ID docs that are making one hundred and seventy four thousand a year or the family practice docs that are making one hundred and seventy six thousand dollars a year, they're gonna be the ones that are disgruntled and, and pissed off that they're not making enough and are unhappy. So
1: Well and and you have to think about the loans, right? Because the a physicians, many most physicians will have loans. And if you're making one hundred and seventy four thousand dollars a year, remember that's not just money in the hand you're paying back enormous debt usually from medical school you also may have a mortgage and three kids and so that 174 dollars can quickly disappear so it's it's um while it may seem like a very big number what we've talked about in other episodes other podcast episodes is that it it in the end of the day may not actually be that big of a number
0: yeah all right so let's uh move on digging further into the report and the next slide talks about um, kind of changes in um, compensation. What was interesting is rheumatology shot up. I don't know why. They're,
1: I think it's because of all the autoimmune disease. <laughs> I really do. I think the, that's the thing that is plaguing our, our society now more and more and more. It's becoming rampant. And I think that's why they're getting more visits, more people at the door. I think so. I could be totally wrong, but I, I that's, bet you, my, that's my take on I it. I bet
0: you there's a new medication or something that they're they're giving <laughs> that they, they can charge for.
1: Well, I don't know. If you think about all the chemotherapy drugs out there, oncology isn't shooting up at yeah. the uh, top of the list there.
0: Yeah, interesting. All right, we won't dig too much into that. But overall, the compensation is relatively uh, staying steady. Here's an interesting one that I know you probably uh, are very opinionated about. And you think the slide four on here is do men or women earn more?
1: That's almost a rhetorical question. I mean, it's insulting almost that they asked it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously women are earning less, and that's
0: unf- why. Why obviously?
1: Because it's it's uh, something that is it's ubiquitous. Women are earning less in almost every field, and it's a a very Often discussed major problem among women professionals that we are making less than our male counterparts. And why is that happening? And why in 2014 is it still happening? And what can we do about it? Those are all questions that I don't have the answers to, but it's, and I, (laughs) I sound probably pretty cynical sitting here, but it is. If you, so half of graduating physicians are now female uh sixty one percent of women physicians are under forty five versus thirty eight percent of men that's kind of interesting but uh we are definitely earning less and there's absolutely no reason in my mind that that should be the case there are still um it's it's also interesting because there are certain fields in medicine which are more more sort of male dominated and 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 so sort of some some of the surgical fields for example and that's shifting over time but I think So there's
0: a little selection bias with compensation because you're getting like orthopedic surgery is a very male dominated right, specialty and it's the highest exactly. paid specialty. So is well, is that skewing the numbers here?
1: Yeah, maybe. But I, I mean, I think in, in most all specialties, women are, are probably earning less. Um, and I don't have the, those figures in front of me to, to tell you for sure. But. People. So, what? What are the reasons that people give? Well, one reason that's given is that women go out on maternity leave and men don't, so they take a hit in their compensation, and that's fair because that well,
0: productivity is less.
1: Yeah, but I, if I think about how productive a working woman has to be who has a child at home, it makes me insane to think that they're trying to then punish us by taking away our our money, and never mind the fact, by the way, that maternity leave often is not. You may not get any pay while you're, you know, away. It's not like you're, you're being paid while you're at home with your baby a lot of the time. So I, yeah, I find this slide very frustrating.
0: Yeah. And as a working mother now, you can understand that. Yes. All the, the stresses involved with that. Yeah. But but
1: this isn't unique to medicine and that's the thing. Correct.
0: Yeah. This is, this is, if you look at standards across all, um, all compensation, uh, in every job. Men earn more than women, and I know we're recording this in 2014, and in June of 2014, in 2014, and there was something recently about Obama trying to uh, address this. So it'd be interesting to see what happens. Mm-hmm. So the next slide is very interesting. I think is very interesting for many listeners. If if you are listening and and you're dead set on living on in certain parts of the country they, this medscape physician compensation report breaks down physician comp- compensation by geographical area and what's interesting to me is that the northeast the hub of all of medicine as Allison would would hope to to hear because of mass general and the whole boston medical area the Northeast is the least paid and least compensated of all the regions. They're all relatively similar from 239000 on average up to 258000 in the Great Lakes area. But I think this just is a, a supply and demand kind of thing. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. So the, the Northeast here in the Boston area, there are... Is a huge surplus of physicians because of all the hospitals in the area. Everybody wants to come here because of the great academic environment. Therefore, you don't have to pay as much because people want to be here anyway. So, it's very interesting. You have anything to say about this one?
1: No, I, I think I was surprised actually at at how kind of balanced it is. I was expecting a a wider differential there. Um, but again, yeah, it's just that that surplus. Yeah. And it's funny because in the mail, when when you become a physician, in the mail you start getting all of these uh, advertisements. We probably get oh, yeah. three or four a week at least. <laughs> Come move to so and so. I want
0: I want you to take some of those. Yeah,
1: <laughs> right. And live here, and you'll have the best life ever. I mean, they. It's it's such a the sales pitch. Uh, it's so interesting. And sometimes I actually I remember during residency I I got paged by one of these recruiting services. I was so angry. Because it was so inappropriate, I mean, we're anyway, it's a long story. Um, actually, it's not that long a story, but it was just infuriating. <laughs> yeah. but yeah, it's uh, really, they do want you to try to move to these more rural parts of the country because they really do need physicians there. Unfortunately, the you know <laughs> flyers in the mail are not always the best way.:
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. All right, so live where you want, basically, you'll get compensated fairly. Not a huge difference everywhere anywhere. Um, the next slide going through, it talks about employed, self-employed. We don't need to talk about that. It's kind of boring. Um, and by practice setting, that's kind of boring too.
1: Although there's a point here, which is that um, in the, and this is for you know, pre-meds and medical students out there, residents, it's interesting to note that an academic, phys, a physician practicing in an academic teaching hospital often will make quite a lot less than someone out in private practice and it's sort of a sore point, I think, um, because two residents who've gone through the same training and or maybe fellows who've then graduated and moved on, if that fellow stays on at the hospital, they may be making half or three quarters of what the physician is making who goes out into private practice. And there can be thoughts on both sides about who's sort of the more nobler person, therefore, um, <laughs> But I think, as someone who has gone off into private practice uh, myself, I can tell you that it was absolutely not for the money. So, just because you're you're seeing physicians out in private practice, it, it doesn't mean that they're out there because they want the money. There are many, many other reasons uh, to choose a group practice or a single specialty practice, private practice versus being um, in an, an academic setting. It's it's There are a lot of factors that go into it. And I, I by the way, love the academic setting, but it was a, a good choice for me to go into private practice, at least for the time being.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. All right. Here's one that I think we could talk forever about, and maybe we need to dedicate an, another podcast episode to this, Uh, slide eight of this physician compensation report from Medscape talks about whether or not physicians feel fairly compensated. In the next couple slides, it'll talk about overall happiness and and other things. But what's interesting is, and I kind of alluded to this earlier about how much is enough, is out of all physicians, 50 percent feel that they're fairly compensated and 50% feel like they are not uh, fairly compensated. And so I I think and and we'll get into this a little bit further when we talk about overall job satisfaction, but the the question in my mind is when a physician on average at the minimum is making $174,000 and obviously that's not the case for everybody cuz Allison your first year out of residency you're making nowhere near $174,000. Right. You're making well less than that. So there's there's obviously a range. But how much is enough? And and what my my always follow-up questions to information and data like this is what exactly is uh, are the reasons why these physicians don't feel fairly compensated what is their overall debt load are they living way beyond their means and so they're just stressed financially and so they they feel like they're not fairly compensated because they're they're stretched out beyond their means or or what so the numbers don't always tell the whole story and that's something that as you go through your medical career looking at every type of research and survey and, and anything else that's the, the kind of questions that you need to be asking yourself is really what is behind these numbers. Yeah. So what's interesting here, this slide talks about 50-50 among all physicians, but primary care physicians, 52% thought they were fairly compensated. So even the primary care physicians that make the lower amount of money they feel more compensated than the rest of the physicians. So the <laughs> the it, it it goes down further and breaks down specialties and, and talks about who is who feels the most compensated. And for some reason I don't know if this is this really wasn't a shocker to me, but dermatologists feel the most compensated at sixty four percent.
1: And plastic surgeons feel the least compensated, which is kind of ironic.
0: Yeah, that is that is interesting. Where were plastic surgeons? Let me go back a couple of slides. Plastic surgeons were one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh on the list at three hundred twenty-one thousand.
1: And you know what else is interesting? Psychiatry is way up there as feeling most fairly compensated. They're number four, fifty-nine percent of them, and a lot of psychiatrists have a very different model of of payment than other physicians because a lot of them take. Um, pay out-of-pocket self-pay because they just can't afford to to have patients uh, pay through insurance because they just don't make any money. Um, so that's it's interesting. I wonder if a lot of those people responding are those physicians who just charge out-of-pocket or, or if they're actually participating in the insurance reimbursements.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. So dermatology, nice cush. So dermatology is a good mix, right? So it has nice hours. And it's very procedure based, so they're charging lots of money and and uh, not working a ton of hours. Dermatology, looking at the uh, big list, is right behind plastic surgery at three hundred eight thousand. So, um, that's that's the interesting thing. So, looking at who's most fairly compensated, it's not a matter of total overall dollars, because uh, dermatology and plastic surgery are. On on opposite ends of this chart here. So I'm gonna skip a couple slides. It talks about different payment models and Medicare, Medicaid, and and some other stuff. One of the things here, and and this is just an a kind of a an interesting thing to discuss, is whether or not these physicians discuss the cost of treatment with patients. Is this something that you do, Allison?
1: I have to from time to time because a patient actually, like today, someone didn't have health insurance and we had to figure out how to get them what they needed uh, and so we actually, and and there are other times um, where patients will ask um, and they'll say, you know, I, I don't, they'll tell me about their deductible and how um, they only have uh, so much sort of uh, insurance coverage for the rest of the year. And, and so they need to know how much a certain test will cost because they know that they have a couple other doctors they have to see before the year is out. So I'd say it, it probably comes up at least once a week. Um, I don't, I think if I know that someone is strapped for cash because I, I know them well, and I know that a test that I'm ordering for, for them or that I'd like to order for them could be very expensive, then I will bring it up. But I don't tend to make a practice of talking about it with, with most, most patients. I do t- try to also pay attention to what kind of health insurance they have because that can change things.
0: Yeah. And in this report, it it says 40%, the majority kind of sound like they they do what you do. It says occasionally if the patient brings up the subject, they'll talk about it.
1: And quite frankly, this is something that, again, takes time during a patient encounter. And if you have 20 minutes for a follow-up visit, are you going to spend some of that time, precious time, talking about how much the testing is going to cost? Yeah, I don't think I'm going to take time out unless it becomes you know, an issue. Yeah. Um, is that something concerned? that you
0: need to discuss or can like a, another staff member discuss yeah, it? Yeah,
1: and that's exactly the point. Um, our office manager is really helpful in that regard. And a lot of practices have support in that sense. An office manager in and, and, um, the hospital, there are case managers who can help with this sort of thing. It's, um, and also just the financial department in the hospital, because really, again, if, if you're trying to get through, um, seeing a whole bunch of patients and the money factor is, it's not the crux of what we're, we're doing. It's important. And unfortunately it's probably breezed over too much. And then somebody gets a whopping medical bill, which is a huge problem, but that's, that's just such a Pandora's box of, of, oh my goodness. Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) What what I don't like on this is that five percent say they never talk about it because they don't feel it's appropriate. And I think that's Well,
1: and the question is why do they think it's inappropriate? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it gets it's important when there are alternatives to treatment. If if you're talking about drug A versus drug B and drug A is fifty thousand dollars a year and drug B is twenty thousand, then then those are the discussions that need to be had. But mm-hmm. it's interesting. Yeah. It's stuff to think about. Maybe we should talk about that another time too. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is just, as, as you're listening to this, this is just a great report to see what's going through the minds of a lot of physicians and kind of what their life looks like. This next slide, slide 16 here talks about hours per week spent seeing patients and the majority see patients 30 to 40 hours a week, which is a kind of a standard, um, work schedule here in the United States. 6% said they, they see patients more than 65 hours a week. Those must be residents responding.
1: <laughs> I don't know if residents were included in this. Actually. I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. We'll see. I, I, I feel bad for those people working and seeing patients one sixty five sixty-five hours a week because there's there's so much more than just seeing patients. So they're working a lot. Yeah. I wish. Uh, I I don't think it it breaks down. Oh, actually, it does. Uh, the The next slide, slide seventeen anesthesiologists, 79% of them responded that they spend more than 40 hours per week seeing patients. Now, that's interesting. Anesthesiologists are one of those where I would assume that I would want, if I were one of their patients, I would want a well-rested anesthesiologist. Yes. They're waking you up. <laughs> <laughs> Putting you to sleep is easy. It's waking me up that uh, I'm scared of. Yeah, they,
1: that's the physician that you don't want falling asleep while they're sitting at the, the you know the computer screen and all the dials and knobs and drips going in and out. And they're playing solitaire on the computer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's or interesting. on
1: Facebook probably.
0: Yeah, anesthesiologist, critical care, nephrology, cardiology. Those are all, and urology. Those are all seventy-five percent or above for seeing patients more than 40 hours per week.
1: Well, and I thought it was funny how they talk about how physicians in, quote, low-hour specialties, how their uh, time spent with patients changed by less than 1% during the past decade, and they uh, mark those as being dermatology, pathology, and emergency medicine. If you think about an emergency medicine physician as a layperson, you might think, well, Look at ER; those people look like they're exhausted all the time, and they're working a million hours a week. But emergency medicine is one which is really much more shift work. So maybe three twelve-hour shifts a week. So it's a good friend of mine is an emergency med of ours, is a good emergency uh, medicine physician, and and that's what she does. So, uh, but it's funny to group that with a dermatologist because it's just I don't <laughs> think of those very as different. yeah, very different.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think. I think seems I'm, like
1: we're ragging on dermatology, by the way. For all those dermatology uh, students and residents and physicians out there, we, we really do respect what you do. <laughs> <laughs> you just happen to make a lot of money, so it comes out in this
0: report. It's <laughs> awesome. Uh, it talks about number of patient visits per week. Eh, we don't need to talk about that. Time spent with patients. Uh, so the majority is 13 to 16 minutes spent with patients.
1: Yeah, so this is another slide that I just have such pangs. This is why, if you've heard the term concierge medicine, this is why a lot of uh, primary care practices are moving toward that model. And concierge medicine means basically that you have a smaller number of patients who pay a large sum of money.
0: Out of pocket. Out
1: of pocket to have much uh, much more time with you, basically. Much more... Uh, attention. It's sort of, yeah. It's like going from daycare to having a nanny. <laughs> it's a terrible analogy, but the point is that you're going from uh, a system like this where you get 15 minutes with your doctor to talk about everything, going from your, um, your your hypertension, your high blood pressure, to your your bronchitis, to your your. I mean, it's everything. It's it's head to toe, top to bottom, and you have 15 minutes to do it all once a year to a system where if you have a problem, you call up your doctor, you get in that day. And, and then when you have your annual, I mean, you, they spend an hour and a half and they, they are so thorough. And primary care physicians whom I've spoken with have said that this is the only way that they knew that they could continue practicing medicine in anything resembling what they wanted to do when they were pre-meds and, and medical students and wanted to actually become doctors. Because how in in the world could you possibly Fit an entire person's well-being and healthcare into fifteen minutes. That, by the way, includes taking a history, doing a physical, and and the history includes all the different parts: what meds are you on, what are your allergies, has anybody died in your family recently? I mean, everything. And then the entire physical. And then, by the way, what are we going to recommend for, you know, how are you doing this year, and and what treatments are we going to recommend? And and yeah. it's ridiculous.
0: <laughs> what are you eating? What kind of exercise yeah, are you doing?
1: It's, it's this is probably the saddest slide of all. Interesting. And remember, those physicians who are trying to cram all of that into 15 minutes are getting some of the worst compensation of everybody. Yeah. If, if you have a physician who can go in the room and freeze off a wart in five minutes, okay, great. But you don't have five minutes to talk about blood pressure and all the different problems that that yeah. creates.
0: We're not trying to dissuade you from going into primary care. It is a very rewarding field. But these are some of the challenges that you're going to face. And hopefully knowing these challenges, going in with an open mind, hopefully you are the one that can solve some of these issues and fight for some of the, the fairness to kind of come back in your direction. And I think in the end, when you go into a field and you understand these challenges, what happens is that you are happier uh, on the flip side.
1: And just a shout out um, to Z MD, um, who gave us that great shout out about the podcast at the beginning. There are people out there who are doing amazing things. Z is down in Vegas working on. Uh, he created this Turntable Health, which is all about a different model of primary care and trying to. Create a system where patients are their entire health and well being is taken care of, in, in a, a much better way, and not this tiny little fifteen minute slot. So, just like Ryan said, things are changing. Even from when we were in medical school, there are people out there who are literally changing what medicine looks like for primary care physicians, and there is hope for the future based on that. Um, so, if you do want to be a primary care physician, stick with that because I think by the time you're done. Things are going to look even more different and for the better. You got it. By the way, his actual name is Zubin Dem- Demania. That's how it is. Zubin Demania. And he's awesome. We love you, Z Dog.
0: <laughs> yeah. So if you're in the Vegas area, hopefully, maybe he takes students. I don't know. Hit him up. Say hello to him. All right. Moving on. Uh, talks about hours spent seeing patients in the hospital hours spent on paperwork and administration this is another one of those eye awakening eye opening moments that kind of hits you we all go into medicine saying I want to take care of patients but what happens is looks like the majority here are spending almost 10 hours a week between five and nine hours a week doing paperwork and administrative stuff so there's there's always stuff to be done whether it's uh, filling out paperwork for insurance companies or doing your notes or uh, writing letters to referring physicians there's there's always something else that needs to be done so understand that and, and you'll figure it out
1: with any job out there there's a labor and a love and this is part of our our labor it's not fun but it's it's just part of what you do
0: you got it, so the next slide I think is the biggest one, and and maybe we'll wrap up on this one and we'll talk we can talk about it for a little bit unless we I'll flip through and see what else there is, but they asked if you had it all if you had to do it all over again, would you choose medicine as a career? would you choose the same specialty, and would you choose the same practice setting and what's interesting here is only fifty eight percent said they would choose medicine as a career again. And if if you just glance at the surface, if you just look at that number, you you as a pre-med or a medical student are going to start freaking out going, am I doing the right thing? If so many people are dissatisfied with their job that they wouldn't even go into medicine again, then what am I doing here? What do I... Why do I think I'm different, that I'm going to like it? But there's there's hope, and let me tell you why. In 2012, there is a Forbes article that talks about a survey that was done with uh, workers in the U.S. and Canada. It's a very small survey, but there was a more in-depth survey. 30,000 workers worldwide were polled and it's it's kind of all over the place worldwide, but in the U.S., 32% said they wanted to find new work. So 32% of the workers polled in the U.S. in this survey said they wanted to find new work. So that means that only 68% of them would choose what they're doing. So it's... It's not that much more, 10%. It's not that much more than the medicine side. So it's not, it's not just medicine where people are dissatisfied. I think, it's, I think it's a growing kind of epidemic in our world where we need the new shiny toy all the time and it, careers are turning into that new shiny toy.
1: Yeah, my parents' primary care physician uh, was a wonderful physician and still is, and he had the same office and same job for over thirty or forty years. I think it's not like that anymore. If you look around, and almost in medicine and almost any profession, people are moving around, changing jobs, changing environments, doing different things with their degrees. It's just the kind of the way of the world, at least in the U.S. now more than ever. So, uh, I I think part of that is that sort of uh, that yearn for variety. And something new.
0: Definitely. And 47% would choose the same specialty again. This is the one I find interesting because we spend so much time as a pre-med trying to figure out if medicine's right and, and possibly what I would like. And then we have medical school where we're introduced to many different specialties. And then we match in something yet less than half are saying they would choose the same specialty again. So my question is, is, is the system broken in, in how we choose a specialty? And, and should it be fixed or changed to make it easier for physicians to kind of say, you know what, I thought I wanted to be a radiologist, but I really want to be a pediatrician. So I should be able to go work as a pediatrician very easily.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, it's tough because I mean, having been through a residency and, and I'm a specialist, so it's, I have a different probably take on it maybe than a general practitioner, but I think it is, it, residency is all about getting trained really well in what you're going to be doing every day. And if it's a specialty like neurology, you become so invested in that that a lot of the stuff that you learned in medical school about perhaps pediatrics or uh, you know other other fields, maybe surgery, for example, really kind of fade away. Um, so I think it would be hard to kind of make it easier to shift from one uh, practice to another. That said, there are some that overlap a lot, like neurology and physiatry, for example. If you are interested in doing EMGs, uh, which are a nerve conduction test, uh, electromyogram, you can do that as a neurologist and a physiatrist. And I, I knew someone in my residency class who actually did, she's board certified in both. So there are physicians who can, who can do both, but to go from one extreme to another, like to go from psychiatry to surgery, there are residents who've done that, but it's very challenging to do that. And I don't know how to really make it easier with how, how specialized a lot of these fields are. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting if you look at these graphs. So internal medicine, what they slide? would. 20, so the next slide 23. slide, twenty-three. So internal medicine, the the highest percentage, sixty-eight percent of those physicians would choose medicine. But if you go to slide twenty-four, only forty. Per, no, I'm sorry, twenty-seven percent. The the smallest percentage of internal medicine physicians would choose the same specialty. So how interesting is that? You wonder what they would prefer to be doing.
0: Yeah. It's very interesting, and I, and I wish, again, you can look at numbers, and numbers can tell you one thing, but if you dig deeper into the stories, what, what else is hiding back there? So the, these internal medicine survey responders, maybe they were interested in something else but didn't get the fellowship that they wanted. So they're an internal medicine doctor. Maybe they want to do a fellowship in cardiology but never got that fellowship, and so maybe that's why they're saying they would choose something else or they they didn't get the residency that they wanted they they wanted orthopedics and they got internal medicine uh as a backup and and so there's there's always more behind the scenes but it's it's very interesting the the interesting thing here and i kind of alluded to it earlier as far as compensation and and happiness and i'm alluding Happiness to whether or not people would choose medicine again is it's flipped from the compensation scales. Orthopedics is at the bottom here, or second from the bottom, at 44%. And HIV ID docs and internal medicine docs and family practice docs are all at the top at 67
1: or 68%. Interesting.
0: So the ones making the least amount of money are saying, hey, I still like medicine. The ones that are making the most are saying, "Yeah, medicine's not for me."
1: Well, and maybe that's just a testament to why these people became physicians in the first place. That's
0: exactly my point,
1: right? I mean, for me, I didn't become a neurologist for the money. I can tell you that it didn't even factor into the equation. I mean, I'm sure I looked at it because you want to look at all the factors. But you, you, if you really are being true to to yourself. I think you you want to pick something, choose something that is is something you're passionate about, something you think you can be good at, something that you care about, not something that's going to bring home the bacon the most. Um so I and I think that that just again highlights these people love they love the practice of medicine. Maybe they're frustrated with how it's going, how much they're getting compensated, the the administrative part of it, but they still love the practice of medicine. Yeah.
0: And the the rest of the survey kind of digs down into more satisfaction and and happiness and um, the the interesting thing here, and, and I was kind of mad at this slide Number slide twenty six slide twenty six. So I went into medicine to well originally to cut people to be an orthopedic surgeon, but that always sounds
1: wrong. When I you know, say
0: it. but it's but it's true, but the 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 thing that I resonate with now is being behind that closed door interacting with a patient, getting to know them, treating them, watching them get better if they're sick that's that's what makes me satisfied and as a physician, I think that's what we do that's that's hopefully what drives all of us
1: so you're talking about that thirty three percent there the gratitude relationship. well
0: I'm, I'm getting to it Oh, okay so the what kind of ticked me off reading this report is that the majority of people, by by 1%, 34 versus 33, the majority of people find satisfaction in just knowing that they're good at what they do or they're finding that hard diagnosis, getting the diagnosis right in a hard patient.
1: Well, I would argue, though, just being devil's advocate, I mean, I think that part of why some people are drawn to medicine is because of that puzzle that that problem solving, and and I mean a lot of what we do in medicine in diagnostic work. But
0: there's a person at the end of that puzzle.
1: Very true, but I think that that I'm just looking at it in a more positive light. That people are really <laughs> enjoying that, and you always say I look at things sugar coated, but I I really don't think so. I, I'm looking at this as. Because I, I really enjoy the puzzle of it. I think if I had to think which one do I enjoy the most as a physician, it would be that relationship building with the patient and, and providing that service to them and, and trying to help improve their, their lives and making a difference for them. But I also enjoy the puzzle of what I do and, and localizing a lesion and, and trying to figure out what's going on in someone's brain. I mean, that's that puzzle that is really, um, I, you know, I, I enjoy that. It's it's very intellectually um, Stimulating, interesting, uh rewarding for me. So I don't know if that's a bad thing. I mean, would you rather people not be happy with finding diagnosis?
0: No, I think that's fun, but I think the ultimate goal and yes. what drives us day in and day out, and I think what will ultimately save a a physician's satisfaction and and happiness is is that human to human connection.
1: Yes. I think the <laughs> look at the bottom one. Nothing,
0: 2%.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, (laughs) sorry.
0: Sorry, those 2%. Yeah. All right. I think that's, that. there there are many more slides, and there's a lot of other information in this. But if you just Google Medscape Physician Compensation Report 2014, you'll get to it. We'll have a link to it in the show notes, medicalschoolhq.net slash 81. You can find it there. But that's just our take on this report. Hopefully, we'll be around when the 2015 report comes out, and we'll we'll talk about what's changed. And uh, hopefully, a lot changes. Um, we'll see. You have any parting words of wisdom, Allison?
1: Um, I think this is all just important. It's just interesting. It's interesting information to look at. It it brings up just just go through it. You, you know, if you're a pre-med, if you're a medical student, if you're a resident, I think it's it's helpful to just be aware of these things and not to necessarily be guided by them into making choices about what you want to do. Because the way of the world is changing. Medicine is changing all the time, every day. The The makeup of, of the insurance environment and and how we practice medicine and, and where we practice medicine. So much has changed even since Ryan and I started medical school. It's pretty amazing. So I think by the time that you're you're done and you're out there practicing some of the things that are, are such sources of frustration may may not be fixed i mean certainly but but may be really different and and moving in in a good a better direction so so don't be scared off just just be informed That's that would perfect. be my parting words perfect those would be my parting words
0: perfect i like it still a great career
1: absolutely we talk about that all the time yeah all right. it is
0: all right good well I hope you got some interesting information. I hope we didn't scare you today talking about some of the dissatisfaction in the job for some physicians out there, but it's just another piece of data to kind of add to your collection while you're going through this pre-med process and medical school process and determining what you want to do with your life. You just keep this in the back of your mind. Use the compensation report from Medscape as just another tool, as another data point. As we wrap up here, I want to thank the two people that left us awesome five-star reviews this past week. We had Ryan Reed who said, "Never deleted an episode. Only podcast that I have listened to every episode." Ryan spent a lot of time listening to us.
1: That's awesome. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan.
0: What the interesting thing about Ryan, and he emailed me, Ryan is a PA student or a pre-PA student.
1: Yeah. I read that email. Yeah, that was very cool.
0: Yeah, very interesting. So, if you're a pre PA student out there and you listen, say hi. To, say hi to us. It's interesting that, and I'm glad that our material kind of goes um, and helps more people, different audiences than we thought. We also had Funky Fresh T, who says, "Love this podcast. Great podcast for aspiring doctors, med students, as well as current doctors. Current doctors, awesome." All right. If you would like to leave us a a rating or review, an honest rating and review, it doesn't have to be five stars, but I'll be honest, the majority of them are. Feels kind of good. You can go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes or slash Stitcher, depending on how you listen to us, Um, and you can leave us a rating and review. It only takes a minute and greatly uh, helps us when people are searching for our show or any show Um, related to ours. I'll remind you to go to free MCATgift.com and download that 30-page report about the MCAT. And I think we'll wrap it up there. I hope you got a lot of great information today. And as always, the most important thing is I hope you join us next time here at the medical school headquarters.